0: Welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. This is your host, Brett Hawes, and we are back with episode 108. Uh, Today, my friend and investigative journalist, Jeremy Hammond, joins me to discuss vaccine efficacy versus natural immunity. Uh, There is a lot of good info on today's show. Um, I'll give you some of the highlights here. Uh, We cover Um, Obviously, uh, natural immunity versus um, vaccine efficacy. And uh, we talk a little bit about um, the capturing and reporting of data. uh, How do we measure effectiveness of a vaccine and natural immunity for for that matter? Uh, We talk about cross-immunity between SARS-1 and SARS-CoV-2. Uh, we talk a lot about how the mRNA shots particularly work and uh, what some of their effects might be and then get into a couple of, um, I guess, theoretical things that are slowly starting to sort of manifest, if you will. Uh, things like original antigenic sin, uh, antibody-dependent enhancement. Uh, we talk a little bit about immune escape and uh, the fact that we are quite quickly um potentially, anyway, becoming dependent on boosters. Um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, I think you'll find it quite interesting, the discussion on natural immunity. It does get uh, a, a little bit technical here, but I think that we are at the point where we we do have to get uh, a bit technical and deepen our understanding of what's really going on. Um, I think by the end of this episode, um, you should be able to make some good decisions. And... Uh, Again, I'm trying to present the information here as objectively as possible, given the data that we have and uh, bypassing the official narrative and the media spin on everything that we're seeing. So uh, my hope is that um, this empowers you to make more of a decision that is rooted in informed consent and uh, that you can um, yeah take this information and uh, do what you will with it. Uh, before I get into today's show, um, just a couple of announcements. Um, our friends at uh, Energy Bits, uh, they are the show sponsors for today. Uh, fantastic blue-green algae, chlorellis, uh, Spirulina. Um, you are entitled to 20% off all purchases. That is not just your first order, that is uh, all orders uh, from here on out. And uh, you can go on to energybits.com and use coupon code masterclass for uh, 20% off. Uh, you can also click the link in the show notes for that. And then uh, we also do have um, practitioner programs, just by the way, and uh, a new sort of branch of what we're doing here at uh, the practitionerparadigm.com. And if you check out the show, notes, um, we have a course on autoimmunity. And uh, that is a fairly extensive course. It was a workshop that we did at the end of uh, 2021. Um, that is now available for you. So you can click the link in the show notes, or you can visit the practitionerparadigm.com and uh, you should see that right there on the homepage. So thanks again for tuning in to uh, the show and for your support. Uh, if you do like this episode, um, please, please, please share this with your friends, your family. Uh, subscribe. Leave us a review and uh, keep uh, the show going, and uh, spread the word, and empower yourself, your family, and your community. So thanks for tuning in, and uh, here is Jeremy Hammond. Jeremy Hammond, welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. How are you?
1: Good. Thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah, um and I forget how long ago it was, um but the last episode that we did together I think was debunking propaganda and um how apt was that episode considering where we are right now? Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, um yeah, so uh today I think the two big sort of topics we want to talk about um is the first one is the sort of waning efficacy of vaccinations Uh, and then the other topic which i think we'll probably spend a little bit more time on because i certainly you know off air we we chatted a little bit and uh, i didn't realize that you've been researching for a full year now on natural immunity so uh, i'm keen to get schooled myself and to uh, brush up on the latest research um for those of you that don't know who you are uh, can you just give us a potted bio
1: and uh, a little bit about what you do Sure. Well, I'm just an independent journalist, uh, independent researcher, a fully um, reader-supported researcher. Um, So I don't have any conflicts of interest there in terms of where my funding comes from. So I'm free to say what I want and and how I want to say it, which is a nice benefit. Um, And so I I began doing this type of work, just journalism, way back uh, before the Iraq war. Um, And so my work has always focused on debunking state propaganda that is designed to manufacture consent for harmful government policies. So, I was obviously against the war. I was um, <clears throat> writing articles about how the government was lying. There were, was no evidence of weapons of mass destruction. Uh, I was focused on foreign policy for, for many, many years. And I have shifted my um, focus pretty much entirely now to the COVID 19 pandemic and the topic of vaccines. Um, began shifting to the topic of vaccines after my son was born in 2012. And now that's pretty much all my focus because <clears throat> it's such an important issue. There's such uh, there's such a lack of seriousness on that topic in the mainstream media that it's just it, yeah, this is what I needed to do. So once I had done that research for my son, I mean I, I was doing research in the medical literature to make decisions for myself and for my son as a father. Um, and then kind of once I had that knowledge, I couldn't not talk about it and write about it. So that's really been a, a, an evolution in the focus of my work. Hmm.
0: and that's um something you know we obviously discussed that on the last uh, episode that we did together um so why don't we i mean before we get into natural immunity why don't we just start off with the um i don't know what the correct terminology is i mean in inefficacy uh <laughs> you know um, and and just to kind of like tee this up a little bit and provide some context uh, we are recording now january 12th uh, 2022 um i'm sitting in canada jeremy you're sitting in the u.s and um Pretty much, what's unfolding around the world is that we are now seeing that after two shots um, of the of the COVID nineteen vaccines, uh, we're now looking at um, boosters. Uh, so boosters are happening around the world, um, but here in Canada, we are um, on our third booster. Um, I think, according to the government, anyway, um, we've got about fifty five percent of the population over, I think, the age of eighteen. Um, they are they've now had their booster um but consequently at the at, at the same time we're also seeing um again according to government narrative the hospitals are now being overwhelmed Um, oftentimes with non-COVID-related issues, which we can talk about. Um, And, uh, of course, the majority of the people now that are showing up in hospitals are, in fact, um, they have been either double or triple vaccinated. uh, And there are many, many people now that have been double or triple vaccinated that are um, now contracting um, COVID-19, specifically the Omicron variant. So so that's just a bit of background and context here before we hop into it. Um, I don't know where you want to start with that, Jeremy. Um, yeah, take, do you want to take it away?
1: Yeah, well, on the hospitalization proportions, you know, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, that's an interesting topic here. Uh, for example, um, here locally in northern Michigan, uh, you know, I get a newsletter from one of the, the local healthcare providers, and they have this every week, <clears throat> they have this chart of you know, the proportion of people who are hospitalized, who are vaccinated, and then unvaccinated. Well, I, I've emailed them. I've tried to contact them, their their media department, um, inquiring as a journalist about that chart. And I've asked them the questions, well, how are you defining vaccinated? By mm-hmm. vaccinated, do you mean fully vaccinated according to the CDC's definition, meaning ha- has received uh, the two doses of an mRNA vaccine uh, and is at least 14 days past the second dose administration. And by unvaccinated, do you mean not fully vaccinated? They won't, they won't answer my questions. Huh. They refused to, to reply to me and, and answer that, that, that question. Um, also, how do they, how do they confirm uh, the vaccination status of patients who may have been vaccinated outside of their network? Maybe they were dead. Maybe they did it at a different clinic out of network or, or at a pharmacy. How do they confirm that, 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 the lack of a vaccination history. <laughs>
0: mm. And so, you
1: know, these are simple basic questions and, you know, when you read CDC studies on, on the, this is something, you know, the CDC does studies um, using the VSD, the, the vaccine safety data link, which is a, a network of healthcare organizations. And that's one of the stu- the problems that they always talk about in the studies, you know, when they're trying to do this type of study, comparing vaccinated versus unvaccinated is they cannot necessarily confirm a negative vaccine history because somebody might've gotten and they always acknowledge that somebody could have gotten vaccinated elsewhere, and so, you know, when, I, when I'm seeing these these claims, and here in the U.S., they're still claiming that you know the, the majority, uh, the, the greatest proportion of, of hospitalized COVID-19 patients are unvaccinated. Well, I'm skeptical of that. And you've you just mentioned in, in Canada, it's different; they're acknowledging the opposite. Um, and we've seen in Israel, in the UK, in, in countries where the mass vaccination campaign got started very very early I mean it's been that way for a long time now yeah. that that the majority is vaccinated patients and 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 you know I mean that that should be expected I mean we should expect that even with a very highly efficacious vaccine we should expect that because as the proportion of the population that is fully vaccinated increases while the proportion of, of, of hospitalized patients is going to increase naturally um, and so you know the, you know the, with the u.s still claiming uh, that that the greatest proportion is still unvaccinated I'm, I'm i'm skeptical of that actually um and i think that's changing and that has been changing i mean it is a greater and greater proportion of people who are they, who they acknowledge are fully vaccinated
0: hmm. And, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've often wondered um, to myself, you, you know, you're correct. Obviously, I mean, if hypothetically, if we had 100 percent vaccination and people were landing up in hospital, well, obviously, right, they're all going to be vaccinated. Right. So, so that's that's right. a logical conclusion there. Um, but, you know, do you feel that the reporting, you know, because this is something that's now coming to light here in Canada, is um, our health minister, uh, Christine Elliott, she has basically been on record, and this was all over the news a couple of days ago, that, um, and I forget the numbers, I think it's 46%. So 46% of people being hospitalized with COVID were not hospitalized because of COVID. So there's that, and then there's the other other situation here, coming back to what you were talking about, which is, um, you, you know, the whole, the reporting that we see in the media They're still saying here, um, you know, majority is unvaccinated, unvaccinated, unvaccinated. But when you actually go onto the government website, you can see their data breakdown. And um, so, so I mean, I guess what, and, and of course what it's showing is it's showing that the majority of people landing up in hospital are in fact vaccinated, right? Period. Um, so, and of course, as you said, things are shifting around. But I just wonder, you know, what I'm getting at here is when you look at um, countries like the UK, for example, when you look at Israel, do you feel that their data capturing and their data reporting is more... Um, What's the word? Is it is it more accurate? And is it are they reporting more honestly than perhaps we are here in North America?
1: That's a good question. Um, I, I think you know Israel in particular has done a pretty good job. I think with their data. I mean, they they from the beginning have have had, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see, um, people you know who are very much advocates of the mass vaccination endgame of the lockdowns, right? You know, re- referring to Israel as as an experiment, right? As the world's uh, lab, <laughs> mm-hmm. which, given the history of that state and the Jewish people, you know, you would think that there would be kind of a reluctance to speak of their population that way. And yet, there it is. Um, and, and yeah, and they have had, you know, quite a lot of, uh, you know, they have been just been collecting data very vigorously. And a lot of the studies that we have. Uh, For example, one of the biggest studies we have on natural versus vaccine-induced immunity came from Israel um, using the data that they've been collecting there. Um, So they they have been pretty rigorous with with collecting the data uh, and the reporting on it. You know, in in literature, you can read many of the studies are using data from Israel because um, that's where the data is available. So definitely, I think, I, I don't know whether I could say that they've been doing a better job, but I think certainly... Um, I think the CDC in particular uh, has been blatantly lying to the public. Hmm. Um, Not necessarily in terms of they're not collecting the data. It's just in terms of what the data show. Maybe the interpretation Uh, of data. Yeah. And, Hmm. and, And then the CDC also has a tendency to, when it can't find studies to support its policies, it does its own studies. <laughs> oh yeah, we know how that goes. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so
0: so how do we, you know, if we're talking about efficacy, right? And and let's just um, throw out some of the big slogans here. I mean, the the, the biggest one probably um, is, you know, so we have all of these so called breakthrough. Um, infections right and i think they kind of stopped using the word breakthrough recently um of course we still use it in like in lay discourse i guess but if we have these breakthrough infections typically and you show people that you know you sort of say hey look there's all these people that have been double or triple vaccinated and they still got covid um you know that shows that the vaccines don't work and then the typical response to that is oh but it could have been much worse or right. or it has yep. you know it's it's uh, the symptoms could have been worse or they didn't land up in hospital or what have you. How do we kind of broach that topic and and uh, perhaps share your uh, your insights with that? Because because that that's just what you see. I mean, <laughs> it's literally two camps, and that is what they're throwing at one another all day long. And I feel like we can't get past that at all.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because if you remember back in 2020, during the, the summer and fall, throughout the summer and fall of 2020 right up until the time that the FDA authorized the first vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine for emergency use. What were we being told by the media over and over and over again? Oh my gosh, people who've recovered from COVID-19, their antibodies are waning rapidly. They're Mm. losing their immunity. Natural immunity is weak and short lived. And so we need these vaccines. We were hammered with that message over and over and over again. Now, suddenly, they're starting to educate the public about the difference between sterilizing immunity and just general immunity. So sterilizing immunity refers to the ability of the immune system to prevent infection in the first place. And that's dependent on what are called neutralizing antibodies, antibodies circulating in the blood. And when you're infected or when you're exposed to a virus, Um, The the antibodies can actually prevent the virus from entering the cells and and replicating. So you're preventing the infection. Now, if cells do get infected, if there's a significant infection of cells in the body, antibodies are no longer the operable functioning part of the immune system. Then you have cellular immunity and T cells that can then uh, seek out and destroy those infected cells. And so there's different branches of the immune system. And when, when you know, when they, when they talk about vaccines, you know, it's like they were always talking about antibodies and the mm-hmm. vaccines are, are intended to produce antibodies. And I know oh, if you have natural immunity and your antibodies weigh in, you, you still need to get vaccinated to boost your antibodies. But it's not all about antibodies. Um, cellular immunity, in fact, is is uh, appears to be not just equally important, but more important than antibodies for for prevention of severe disease. So for moderating disease severity. And so somebody can have a, a, an infection and yet have no symptoms, so no disease. Mm-hmm. So, so somebody, somebody can be infected with SARS-CoV-2, the, the coronavirus, and not develop COVID-19. Uh, and so this is something that the public was not being educated about. And, 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 um, and coming back to the, what, the propaganda about natural immunity and people were losing their immunity, that was false. People were not losing their immunity. It's completely normal after the acute phase of infection. And at, you, know, you have a peak uh, level of antibodies. And then after that, the, the antibody levels come down. But then the, the rate of decay slows over time. And then you have a plateau. And so to, uh, all of the studies that have been done to date looking at the persistence of, of neutralizing antibodies with people who recovered from infection show persistence of antibodies so the claim that antibodies were disappearing from these people was false uh and uh, just media propaganda the cdc still claims that oh we don't know enough about natural immunity to know how long it lasts so you still need to get vaccinated because we don't know the duration of immunity but think about what that means the reason we don't still don't know the duration of immunity is because we, we have studies because the virus hasn't been along around long enough circulating in the human population for us to observe significant loss of immunity among people who recovered from infection that's what the cdc is not sa- saying <laughs> yeah
0: but but i mean um as far as i understand if you actually go back and look at sars cov one um you know which was around 2003 2004 somewhere around there yes. i believe they they share and and again i might botch the name the nomenclature here but they're like 90 percent similar let's just put it like that in in lay terms and what mm-hmm. they've now found is that I think there it's 85, is 85 yeah. yeah something like that but they, what the what the the bottom line here is that they found that there is in fact cross immunity from people that had SARS-CoV-1 17 18 years ago now they are, still have I, I wouldn't say it's 100% immunity to SARS-CoV-2 but there is cross immunity there and i believe that a lot of that is yes. mediated by T cell immunity if i'm not mistaken
1: very yeah precisely and, and so people who recovered from SARS SARS-1 back in 2003, you know, 17, 18 years later, they still have both antibody and cellular immune responses to that virus. And as you said, also there's co- cross-protective responses. Um, and so not just with SARS, also common human coronaviruses. Right. Um, there, there's four of them that just circulate around the globe, and, and they are a leading cause of common colds annually. Mm. 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 Um, so these are the common human coronaviruses. Um, there are cross-reactive uh, responses. So, if you have become infected with a cold, a common cold coronavirus, and you develop, you mount an immune response to that. Well, some of those responses are cross-reactive with SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus that causes COVID-19, uh, and it's pretty well established now that that those those responses are actually protective. And so, they might not prevent you from getting infection necessarily but they certainly um, will help moderate the disease severity, so you're you're more likely to have a milder case. Also, there are some studies indicating that, um, you know, that it kind of almost overturning the belief that for sterilizing immunity to exist, you have to have neutralizing antibodies circulating in the blood. Well, that's been kind of overturned now because they've observed people who never even had a significant infection because they were exposed to the virus. Um, and they never developed antibodies but they they never even developed significant infection because their cellular immune responses eradicated the virus from their systems before it could even develop any kind of significant infection i believe there's at, at least two studies sh- showing that which is really interesting um so cellular immune responses are very important uh, that tend to be overlooked um, you know when, when when the public officials talk about the need for vaccination to to boost antibodies um, you know, you would think if that was the case that you need a high level of antibodies in the blood for immunity, you would think that there would be a correlation between um, the disease severity uh, and, and antibody levels uh, in the sense that the, the, the more severe disease a person has, well, they must have lower antibody levels. Just the opposite is true. A study after study after study has observed very consistently that <clears throat> it's actually people who ha- develop more severe disease who have very high antibody titers, levels of antibodies circulating in the blood. Uh, and as people who have mild uh, symptoms or no disease at all who have very low antibody titers. Some people never even develop a detectable level of antibodies, and yet they clear the infection f- efficiently and effectively because they don't need the antibodies to do it. That's cellular immunity. That's this T cell responses. Right, and so so th- th-
0: this is um you know in lay terms this would be our first line of defense that does not necessarily have any memory,
1: correct? Um, you know. Right, but then yeah, I'm glad you brought up memory because that that's you know there's uh, T cells and there's a broad array of like responses with T cells. Uh, including like what I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, that some T cells can uh, like seek out and destroy infected right. cells. They also are we're very much involved in the, the coordination of the immune response. And that's an important thing because you need to have a very coordinated immune response. And so that's actually, you know, people who die from COVID-19, um, uh, it's very typical for them to actually die from, the, from a dysfunctional immune response. So the mm-hmm. cytokine storm, they have mm-hmm. a, a, this uncontrolled inflammatory response. And, and that's actually what kills them. And uh, and so there you have dysfunctional immunity where there's not a balanced, controlled response. And that's very important. Um, and then there's B cells, which are involved in the production of antibodies. But there's also memory T cells and memory B cells. And we know with natural immunity, when you have become infected with SARS-CoV-2, um, over time, B-cells uh, uh, differentiate into what are called long-lived bone marrow plasma cells. So these are cells that reside in your in your, in your uh, bone marrow, and they're capable of rapidly, even if you did lose a detectable level of antibodies circulating in the blood, th- that's humoral immunity, is the, the, the antibodies in the blood, even if that did drop below a detectable level, doesn't mean you've lost uh, immunity. It doesn't mean you don't have sterilizing immunity, because if you're re-exposed to the virus, those those cells in the bone marrow can rapidly mount uh, antibody production again, and they remember. So mm-hmm. they don't have to relearn like what type of antibodies to create right. to effectively fight off the infection uh, or prevent the infection. they They know how to do that already. They've already learned, they've already been trained, and they have that memory
0: right so i mean really what we're saying in a nutshell here is and and i've said this repeatedly you know i think when people think of immunity or an immune the immune response or what have you they always think of this linear sort of continuum, you know, like my immune system is low or my immune system is high or I want to boost my immune system or what have you. And it's like, well, it's not really how it works because you've got multiple branches of the immune system. And depending on what other health conditions you might be experiencing, uh, let's say you have autoimmune issues, for example, or you have cancer or something like that, certain branches of your immune system are going to be weaker or stronger or more predominant, et cetera. But but let's let's just come back then now that we sort of understand that in a in a basic context um, if we look at the at the vaccines now you know my understanding anyway is so you you get especially the mrna shots so you get the mrna shot um it's it essentially you know tells your the cells of your body to um, make spike protein and then the immune system is now trained to identify that spike protein, should it see it in the wild? Okay. Um, of course, uh, we don't know how long the body continues to make spike protein. Um, perhaps you you know that. I mean, I've sort of heard uh, somewhere between six months and twelve months that it continues to make that, but I don't think we really know fully yet. Like, I think the science is still kind of kind of catching up to that. But the point here is this: is in response and uh, in res- the immune response to the spike proteins that are being generated by the shots is not a broad spectrum immune response. It's a very, very narrow immune response. And, um, and that in, an, in and of itself creates a lot of problems, correct?
1: Correct, yes, very much so. So the vaccines are very um, immunologically, narrowly focused, immunologically speaking, um, on, like you said, uh, the, the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2, but not just the spike protein to SARS-CoV-2, the spike protein to the original Wuhan strain of the virus, which is now extinct except in laboratories. Okay. And I I want to come back to that because I know what you're getting at. I want to come back to that. (laughs) (laughs) So you're mounting this immune response to this, to to a virus that's not even circulating anymore. Wow. Um, And it's been completely replaced by subsequent variants. Uh, most recently, uh, the, the newly dominant strain, the Omicron variant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what can happen is, now this brings, brings me to a very, very important um, phenomenon in immunology known as original antigenic sin. Uh, this is something that should have been studied from the start. It should have been studied in clinical trials. Uh, should have been st- Scientists should have been focusing on this very, in- very intently from the beginning, and they haven't been. There's been very little curiosity about this. But what can happen is that the initial priming of the immune system, the initial antigen exposure, um, a- antigen being the thing that causes your immune system m- to not respond. With the vaccines, the antigen is the, the, the spike protein, as you accurately described. Um, Now, so the initial priming of the immune system can, in some circumstances, prejudice the immune response to uh, subsequent exposures in such a way as to be suboptimal. Okay, so what what does that mean?
0: Just to pause you there, what does that mean in in lay terms? Like, so uh, when you're met with a wild virus, um, your immune response is not adequate, like you don't mount a proper response. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, th- that you actually are less protected than you would be had you never had that initial uh, um, exposure. Okay. So, in other words, the vaccine potentially this is a theoretical concern, and there's some evidence to suggest that it is happening. Um, but so the the theoretical concern is that you know that with the vaccines you'll have this original antigenic sin phenomenon where people, once their immune system is trained to respond to that now extinct spike protein, uh, mm-hmm. the, the you know the the now extinct variant, the spike protein of that variant, um, the original Wuhan strain, that they will forever um, mount whenever they're exposed to any variant, They'll their immune system is skewed to mount in a response to that initial strain. And so it never matches, right? There's never an immunological match between what their immune system is mounting response to and what's actually infecting them. And now the thing is, is this doesn't necessarily need to happen because the immune system is adaptive, right? It can learn, it can relearn. So even though, it, um, you know, for example, with natural immunity, what appears to happen is, yes, y- you might um, with Omicron specifically, um, there ha- has been some level of escape uh, from natural immunity in the sense that the antibodies that you have from that prior infection aren't uh, uh, as uh, as tight a match with the Omicron variant as mm-hmm. with the infecting variant that you were infected with previously, right? And so it can uh, escape your neutralizing immunity. It can escape that antibody defense and infect cells. Um, what it's not escaping is the cellular immune responses. Um, it, but with, and also with, with natural media, what appears to happen is that your body quickly relearns and readapts to that newly infecting variant so that it um, you stop putting out antibodies to some older strain, and you start putting out antibodies to the Omicron variant or whatever the new newly infecting variant is, your your natural immunity it updates itself.
0: Right. So this right? is your immune system doing this. This is not a this right. is not a product of the vaccines, is what we're saying.
1: Right. No, this is what I'm talking about with natural immunity. Yes, when you have been primed initially with infection. Um, Now, the concern is, so I have not seen, in fact, the evidence is against um, um, any phenomenon of original antigenic sin occurring with infection, specifically. There is evidence that original antigenic sin occurs if your immune priming comes by way of vaccination. And an example of a piece of evidence of that is um, people who, so if there was no original antigenic sin, what we would expect to happen is if somebody gets vaccinated, and that's that's their initial exposure, They never had any exposure to sars cov2 before they were never infected they get their full their big they become fully vaccinated and that's the priming of their immune system is by vaccination if there were no original antigenic sin and they experienced a breakthrough infection we would expect to see that essentially they would have the equivalence of natural immunity right, that, that the, their immune response would kind of be updated and essentially that new uh, in, uh, exposure to the new antigen would overwrite the, the old immune responses and now they'd have a new response that's updated to the newly infecting variant, right? That's not what we're seeing actually. And so for example, um, when you're infected, you not only develop antibodies and T cell responses to the spike protein, but also other proteins of the virus, the mm-hmm. nucleocapsid protein, the membrane protein, et cetera. Uh, and so of course, and that goes back to what you were saying about how the vaccines are very um, narrowly focused immunologically speaking. Um, and so what happens is, is what we actually see, according to some data I've seen, um, the only data in fact speaking to this that I've seen shows that that, that that doesn't happen when people experience a breakthrough infection, for example, they actually don't mount an equivalent immune response to the nucleocapsid protein as people huh. whose immune problem priming was by infection that's evidence of original antigenic sin so um
0: okay so so a couple of things that come to mind here um the first one is if we have a very narrow immune response by way of vaccination okay and we are still now boosting with the original vaccinations, and I'm just going to use lay terms here for our listeners. Let's say this was um, the original vaccinations were programmed to generate spike protein A, which was the Wuhan, the original Wuhan um, strain, right? Okay, and now we've gone forward and we've had Delta, we've got Omicron, blah, blah, blah. So so the vaccines that we're, we're administering now are still training the body to produce spike protein A, Right. And the immune response Correct. is towards spike protein A. So the question now must be is what happens when I'm met with spike protein B in the wild? So here's del- here comes Delta, and now here comes the more highly transmissible Omicron. Um, you know, the question must be since we're seeing a lot of these vaccinated individuals become infected, the question must be do they actually have an immunological response? to new variants based on the vaccines that we're giving, considering that we're talking about two different things. So that's, I mean, does that make sense to you from in terms of Mm -hmm. of a question? And uh, I don't know if you want to unpack that a little bit for us.
1: Yeah, well, and that's really the big question that, you know, like I said, they should, they should be studying that intently. Um, And so this is one of the reasons we've seen, I mean, they're acknowledging when they started out, you know, initially saying that these vaccines, two doses of one of these mRNA vaccines, would would pr- provide long-lasting immunity. That would be sterilizing immunity. If you remember, they promised over and over again that the path to herd immunity, yeah, was that mass vaccination with two with the two dose regimen. Well, that implicitly means that the vaccines would induce uh, durable, meaning long-lasting, sterilizing immunity, meaning that preventing infection and transmission. Well, uh, you know, they they've long since mm-hmm. dropped that claim and acknowledged back with Delta they were acknowledging that you know it doesn't prevent transmission and, and or infection and transmission. With Omicron that, that has increased the, the, the inability of the vaccines to prevent infection and transmission has <laughs> increased even more. Um, and so you see, you know, if you look at studies on vaccine efficacy and they show waning immunity over time, there's two reasons for that. One is just the effect of the vaccine. The immunity, uh, the immune responses of the vaccine do wear off over time, um, you know, uh, and with, with the waning of antibodies is a waning of immunity with the vaccines. That's not true with natural immunity. Right. And so we'll talk about there's, that. There's a difference yeah. Yeah. in, in yeah. terms of what they call um, uh, correlates of immunity, hmm. right? The correlates of immunity with natural immunity are, you can't pin, it's not like, oh, antibodies equal immunity. Whereas with the vaccines, essentially, yeah, your 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 antibodies. Um, for the most part, equal immunity. There are T cell responses with the, the, with the vaccines. They do induce T cell responses, but again, they're very narrowly focused on the spike protein. Um, But anyhow, uh, so you can look at, you know, studies on vaccine efficacy, vaccine effectiveness and and you see it, you know, you you look at the graphs and they wane quite rapidly. Um, And there's two reasons for that. One is just, again, just the immune responses wane over time Mm -hmm. and uh, the vaccines do not appear to me to induce the same robustness of immunologic memory as natural immunity, not even close. So that's one problem. Uh, but also, this is partly, you know, a, 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 an effect of the introduction of new variants over time, too. Right. right. That escape the vaccine-induced immunity to one extent or another, and increasingly, Delta escaped the vaccine immunity to to a certain extent. Omicron escapes it to an even greater extent. Um, and and, and this, so- this is
0: sorry to interject, but this is this is. Actually acknowledged. I mean, you know, this is not conspiracy at all. I mean, as far as I know, the CEOs of the of the pharmaceutical companies are basically saying um, something along the lines of, you know, studies show that the current vaccinations are around thirty seven percent. Effective against the Omicron variant, so th- this is not right s- speculation or no. Anything in fact, like they
1: that like to use they like to use the it, the introduction of new variants as an excuse for why for the, why their vaccines are performing so poorly. <laughs> so as opposed to acknowledging that it's not just because there's a new variants, that it's also just because you're, the immune. You know the, the the immunity from the vaccines isn't that durable to begin with, anyways. Regardless of whatever variants are circulating right, right, predominantly.
0: Right, right, and you know what's interesting is um, I had a I, I think you know Dr. James Lyonsweiler, you know Jack. Um, yep. Yeah, Jack. Jack and I had a discussion. I think it was October 2020, something like that. And I and I started looking at this, and you know this was like pre-rollout of vaccinations and stuff. And I I private messaged him, and I was like, Jack, you got to help me out here, man. Like, are we looking at annual shots? Are we looking at like biannual shots like what what is this he's like quarterly and I was like no way quarterly shots and here we are right (laughs) and that's actually what they're what they're what they're suggesting you know so you know and and the reason why I bring that up is because the the goalposts keep on shifting, right? You know, first it yes. was, we're going to trans, uh, prevent transmission. Well, then they, you know, okay, well, they don't prevent transmission. We're fine with that. Uh, well, then they prevent infection. Well, they don't prevent infection. Well, we're okay with that as well. Uh, well, they have lasting immunity and it's like, but now they don't. And that was down to, you know, twice a year. And now it's four times a year. And now people are suggesting it might even be more frequent than that. And um, we've kind of settled on this whole idea that uh, we're now okay with vaccinations simply reducing severe symptoms and hospitalizations. We're okay with that, okay? And, right. and I have to look at this and I have to go, but we have a variant now that the vaccines are not actually made for this particular variant. One, that's what we just discussed, right? Two, it's yep. a milder variant that has less symptoms than even the original, which was 85% of people were asymptomatic. So what are we actually trying to do here? I mean, uh, how, how many more symptoms are we trying to reduce in an asymptomatic variant? You know, th- this is what I'm saying. And and yep. f- when you follow that conclusion and you keep going down that line of thinking, you have to really question how effective are they, okay? And we can kind of park that there. But but the next discussion that must surely follow from that is why is it that people are getting infected, and why is it that people are landing up in hospitals? Not a lot of them. And my question is, um, is there an effect now, since we have this narrow pressure from the vaccine, uh, and it's it's, not a, it's a non-sterilizing, as you said, it's a non-sterilizing um, antibody response. What is the collateral damage to the rest of the immune system? And, and is that what yeah. could potentially be causing
1: a lot of the problems that we're seeing out there? I think so. I mean, there's been, the ther- again, again, another theoretical concern is, um, it was known as antibody-dependent enhancement, where the antibodies that your immune system produces um, in response to, to whatever antigen exposure or vaccination uh, are not a match to the infecting variant uh, and not only are not neutralizing, but are actually uh, facilitating antibodies. And, and they they serve as a, tr- a Trojan horse to actually help the virus enter the cells as opposed huh. to blocking them from entering cells or at least having a neutral effect. Um, and so this has been a, a concern from the beginning with these vaccines because it was observed um, when they were trying to develop vaccines to SARS, uh, and, and, and in the animal studies that the animals became sicker they had worse disease they had more severe disease um with the vaccinated animals mm-hmm, did compared yeah. to the control animals um and so this is this is um a, a theoretical concern and you know they, they've they'd like to say well there's no you know there's no evidence of this in the trials and we haven't seen evidence but the thing is is it's always a theoretical concern because you could always have a new variant where the antibodies that the vaccine induces against uh the virus are such a mismatch to the, the newly emerging emergent variant that ADE does happen. So th- that risk is always there for vaccinated individuals. Um, you know, th- theoretically, it's always going to be a theoretical risk. They can never say, well, it's never going to happen.
0: Right well, well, I, um, I, th- I think time will tell, right? I mean we're still we're, right. we are two years in, but it's still only two years in the grand scheme of things um, and of course, this is also now opening the door to, hey, we're going to have a new omicron vaccine ready to roll in ninety days, and uh, right. you know should, should once we scale and distribute that, uh, I'm sure the next variant will be around, and uh, this is kind of really setting the stage for a never ending um, perpetual cycle of vaccinations. Yeah, well yeah, yeah. that
1: coming back to that. I mean you mentioned, you yeah. know, like how frequently are we going to have to to boost, right? For people who are vaccinated and there's kind of they're they're now developing a dependency on boosters. Yeah. So once you you once your immune system is primed by vaccination, you may be dependent on boosters. So um, is, is that an
0: actual concern? Because I've heard that before and I was like, man, that's, uh, you know, it sounds quite conspiratorial in a sense. And, and I've seen Steve Kirsch, um, you know, he's been on, uh, he's, he's been doing the rounds with uh, people like Malone and he's been on the uh, Brett Weinstein show. And, um, you know, he, he wrote a sub stack recently that was basically something along the lines of, you know, studies are now showing that you're going to need booster shots every 30 days because your body is now becoming so dependent on it. And I kind of looked at it, I mean, the editing on the article was terrible, um, you know. I was like, Steve, you gotta get an editor, man. Like, there were typos and stuff, <laughs> it just doesn't look credible. But the information that he presented, I was like, holy smokes, you know, if, if this is true, I mean, this is this is a catastrophic situation because it's not only, you know, it's one thing to opt out of boosters and to just say, oh, well, I got my two shots or I got my five boosters or whatever, and then I don't wanna do it anymore. But what would happen then if your immune system completely, you know, shut down in air quotes and you are in fact dependent? I mean, that is a that is a crazy situation to think about, you know.
1: Yeah. And the answer to that question really depends on, you know, to what extent original antigenic sin is happening and the, and the significance of that. OK. Um, and a very concerning uh, study came out uh, out of Denmark fairly recently. You may have seen this um, <clears throat> that showed negative vaccine effective I did see that. Over yeah. time. Yeah. Um, now, there was some confounding in that study because, uh, you know, the, the authors reported that that may be due to differences in behavior between people who got the vaccine, maybe out there kind of living it up and being exposed to the virus mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a, 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 you know, a factor related to <clears throat> their behavior. Whereas, you know, the assumption there would be that people who didn't get the vaccine are kind of just isolating at home and, and not not going out and living their lives. And being exposed to the virus, I um, actually it sent a newsletter on this this study fairly recently, and somebody, one of my readers from Denmark, replied to say, um, "It's true, actually, that that um, you know they have this like vaccine passport system there." She said that you know people who are who've been vaccinated you know, are kind of free to go around and do whatever, whereas wow. you know, people who are unvaccinated um, they kind of have a, a way around that is they can they can get tested. So as long as they're testing negative, um, so there is some confounding there with that study um, that could it could uh, help to explain the the negative effectiveness observed in the data with with the vaccinations. However, you know I I, I wouldn't dismiss entirely the possibility that it really is an effect of the vaccine. Um, there was another study uh, out of researchers from Sweden who who showed that over time the, the vaccine. Uh, effectiveness does enter negative territory. That one, the the negative vaccine effectiveness was statistically not significant because they had very wide confidence intervals. Um, with the, the the Danish study, interestingly, it was statistically significant negative ah. vaccine effectiveness. So,
0: so when you um, say negative vaccine effectiveness, can you perhaps just explain to our listeners what that uh, what what that, yeah, that means? That people who
1: are or got vaccinated, people who are fully vaccinated, are more likely to become infected. Uh, with the virus than people who aren't vaccinated. Okay. Well. Wow. So I mean, all
0: all this to say, um, because I do want to move on, all, all this to say that, you know, we could sit and pick apart all of the, you know, the, the nitty-gritty here. But the bottom line here is that it doesn't appear that we're going to vaccinate our way out of this problem. Um like you know, no. like the, the the data is just not showing us that it's going to work. Um, and I won't even talk about anything else as far as treatments or prevention or anything like that because, uh, you know, I want to keep us on point here. Um, and, and, you know, the, the sad reality is that we're still being told You know, we're still being told right here in Canada, like all of the propaganda, the government's um, advertising, all of the politicians on Twitter, everyone else, they're all like the best way is to get your booster shots, you know, get your boosters, get your boosters. Um, And, uh, you know, then you find out that the government has secured um, millions and millions of doses here. Uh, I think Trudeau's procured 409 million doses, just as far as I know. And uh, we have 38 million people. So... You know, I kind of wondered to myself, um, why would you order so much if uh, all it's going to require is one more booster and then we're good to go, you know? So uh, anyway, um, that's obviously dipping more into the um, speculative side of things, which will Well,
1: well if, if I might comment on that a go little bit for it, yeah, please. Uh, so again, coming back to that, that Denmark study, um, they actually looked at that. They actually did, they didn't just look at people who were fully vaccinated. They also looked at people who were boosted. Okay. <laughs> so they'd had their two doses of mRNA and a booster shot. Um, and specifically with the Omicron variant, this is what they were looking at. Huh. Uh, and they found that, yes, have, getting the booster did, um, they, they called re- they said recover, I think was the term that they used, recover the immunity up to whatever percentage it was originally, like immediately after the, the second dose, which then wrap but then they, they, they said, you know, not only that the initial uh, effectiveness of the initial two doses wanes rapidly. Like within a month, it, it drops like significantly. The same thing with the boosters, like after a few weeks or you know, or maybe a couple of months at most, like the effectiveness drops right back down. So this going back to that question, how often are we gonna need to boost? I mean, if you looked at that, um, you know, at best, you know, every four months or something uh you know but you know, if the goal is to to boost to prevent infection and transmission you know you're going to need boosters like every 2 or 3 months crazy based yeah. on this data yeah and even then you so. know i mean
0: new variants and you like you know th- this is i think what people need to understand is it's one thing on paper to say you know like Pfizer says oh we will have in 90 days we can create a, we can bring to market a vaccination for a new variant, right? So let's say we discover Omicron January 1st, by March 31st, we can have a vaccine ready to go. But what people don't realize is that you still have to distribute that. You have to scale. Like you can't scale it. You know what I'm saying. So you have to distribute that. You then have to get it to where it needs to go. You then have to get the people there. And all the while, it's not like time stops and everything just freezes while you do that. Everything's just moving forward. You know. So this is why I say we we are um, rapidly locking ourselves into this. You know, chasing this never ending. Um, situation here uh, with, yeah. with of course, you know, very, very serious collateral damage um, that's happening on the
1: side of it all. So, yeah. And if they were to update the vaccine, that's a different vaccine now. Right. Right. And, and so they're going to treat it just like they do with flu shots. They treat the flu shot as just a monolithic thing where it's like, this is the flu shot. And every yeah. year it's like the same thing, but it's not. Every year it's a different vaccine. Guess what? Every year it has a different safety profile.
0: Yeah, I've heard that they're going to grandfather it in, right? That's what they're talking about. Well, this is what
1: they'll do uh, uh, re- as far as the regulatory approval process. Yeah, they'll treat it as the same vaccine. They'll treat it as though the the initial clinical trials for the initial vaccine are applicable to the new, you know, updated mm-hmm. uh, uh, version of the vaccine that's updated for for whatever variant. Um, it, but we've seen what what can happen with with flu shots when they do this, and and they um you know they they have this process of rapidly Uh, manufacturing a a new vaccine for a different strain in in 1970 uh what was it 76 There was the the swine flu scare the pandemic that never was and people rushed out uh they rushed out a vaccine people got the vaccine it turned out to cause ganberrae syndrome Mm. which is a a, a polio-like paralytic uh, disease uh an autoimmune disease uh in 2009 with the 2009 um H1N1 pandemic. In Europe, they rushed out a vaccine They ended up causing narcolepsy, again, another autoimmune disorder. Um, so it's not as simple as just like, oh, they're going to update the vaccine to a new uh, variant, right? The, yeah, the antigen yeah. in the vaccine is a factor in the safety profile of the vaccine. If you change the antigen, you're changing the vaccine. Even if all the other ingredients stay the same, that is uh, you're, that is essentially a new vaccine and they're not going to have new clinical trials. No, there's they're no not way. They're not going to run into uh, new randomized placebo-controlled clinical trials. They're just going to make the same assumptions based on the old data. And so that's another risk. But
0: but if, if they're using mRNA technology, then surely they're not necessarily... Um, including an antigen in the shots, right? What they're doing is well, that's they're, true. Is right. they're, they're but, programming but, um, the vaccines with different mRNA is, is what it programming is. Programming it with different you know. mRNA
1: to then have your body mount uh, an immune response to, 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 again, to the, spike protein the spike protein B or, protein, or whatever. Right. Thank you for clarifying that point. That's correct. No, it's all um, good. But, but um, my my point remains uh, yeah, that yeah. that that's a, should be treated as a new vaccine, a different vaccine yeah. issue, and it should go through the safety studies. Yeah, yeah. But so, they won't.
0: Um, no, of course not. And and already, I mean, I've seen rumblings uh, of pharmaceutical companies, you know, already lobbying to basically just get any new shots grandfathered in, uh, based on very, very dubious um, approval science uh, from the initial trials, right, from phases one and two. Um, so um, let's talk about e- natural immunity,
1: because that's what you've been uh, spending a lot of time on there. Sure. Yeah, we've already touched on it to an extent. Um, I think it's important to point out that, again, with the Omicron variant, it's interesting. I was reading a a series of New York Times articles in December came out, each one saying that, you know, this this, study out of South Africa has shown that um, that, that, uh, prior infection, immunity from prior infection offers, quote unquote, little protection against the Omicron variant. So I Hmm. looked up the study, naturally curious, like, what? That's not what I would anticipate. I would anticipate that natural immunity is still very highly effective, based on everything I've, I've read in the literature over the past year, um, and you know, like doing a deep, deep dive into this specific topic. I mean, my I would anticipate that natural immunity would be still highly effective, and well, that's what the study actually showed. <laughs> um, that that um, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, that the Omicron variant does significantly escape neutralizing, uh, sterilizing immunity. Um, from prior infection, but they still estimated like about a 75% effectiveness uh, against just infection, not to mm. mention, you know, effectiveness against, like we talked about earlier, even if you do become, if, even if you do have an infection, you don't necessarily get the disease. You may be completely asymptomatic. You may have very mild symptoms as a result of your immunity. Well, that's still immunity, right? It's not sterilizing immunity, but it's still immunity. You're still protected from disease. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting, again, that the double standard, you know, they talk about reinfection as a bad thing. Well, you, we want to stop reinfection. And they say that's why you need to get a, a vaccinated, even if you've already had prior immunity, because you don't want to have a reinfection. Well, the vaccines are going to prevent you from re, having a reinfection anyways, right? They can't they don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But so it's, it's you know, um, but the thing is, is, if you do have a reinfection, it's probably, you're probably going to be asymptomatic or have just mild symptoms as compared to, you might've had more severe symptoms the first time, right? So you're still protected against severe disease. And that's a natural booster. Huh? It's called exogenous boosting. When you're re-exposed to something you've already been exposed to in the past, you're, you're number one, you're you're kind of updating your immune system to mount that more adaptive immune response to the new variant. Uh, and, and you're boosting your antibody levels so that the next time you do encounter it, you you you, you have you know, that increased likelihood of of not becoming infected. It's a natural boosting effect. So we have this kind of double standard where natural exogenous boosting is bad, but breakthrough infection is good now. Have you seen that where breakthrough infection is a a natural booster to your vaccine-induced immunity? And so that's a good thing. So they're, they're trying to spin breakthrough infections to say that that, oh, that's good for your immunity when you have a breakthrough infection. It gives you super immunity. <laughs> but, but surely, I mean, in super immunity in what way? I mean,
0: is, is is it basically saying exactly what we're saying from a natural immunity or a natural infection standpoint? But now, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, like the rationale They're talking that. about
1: antibody levels yeah, specifically. So okay. they're, they're, equating, they're equating a high level of antibodies with strong immunity, with immunity. when, they, okay. when okay. they say that. So it's that fallacy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now... Um, you know, to people that might be a little skeptical and sort of saying, oh, well, we're just talking about natural immunity here and there's not any, you know, there's no robust um, data or studies. Uh, I was seeing in the Browns, I think it's brownstone.org. Um, yep. Last time I checked, I think it was, there was 141 studies showing that natural immunity was superior. Um, is, yep. is that correct? And do you know what the quality of those studies were like? I mean, I'm sure they're not all of equal nature
1: that list was compiled by Dr. Paul Alexander. Um, uh, and so, yeah, he's, he's just got a compiled, uh, I don't know what, what it is now. You mentioned over 140. Yeah. Uh, I was over 130. I think last time I checked that, that list. Um, and I have uh, on my own just like over since the beginning, just collecting every study that comes my way that I come across on immunity, both whether it's you know, to the vaccine or to, from, from infection, and so I've, I've, I've got my own research archive of, you mm-hmm. know, I don't even know how many studies, probably considerably even greater than, than that. I mean, it's easily in the hundreds of studies showing that, yes, natural immunity is superior. There's no question about this. In fact, it's, it's interesting, you know, comparing like the CDC's messaging that, oh, a natural infection or a natural immunity, um, they have this, this. Public relations messaging that natural immunity is weak and short-lived and insufficient protection, and so you still need to get vaccinated even if you recovered from infection. That's not what the scientific literature is saying. In fact, I mean, it's it's just interesting. It just jumps out whenever you read these studies, and they're talking about you know, um, you know, like studies from immunologists like examining in detail the immune response. And they're always saying, making comments in there about, you know, the need, you know, what we can do how this is helpful for vaccines, right? And how we can adapt, you know, we we need new vaccines that are better. And it's interesting because they always are comparing the the immunity from the vaccines to natural immunity. And they're always saying, they're always holding up natural immunity as the benchmark to aim at for vaccine immune responses, They're always saying that, like, we need to create better vaccines that are that more closely mimic the natural immunity. Right. Right. Like, that's just it just jumps out at you whenever you read these studies.
0: Yeah. But then at the same time, we throw natural immunity out as this thing that doesn't work. Right. Which is bizarre. Public messaging. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what's in the
1: literature is completely different from like the public messaging from the cdc and not just the cdc i mean it's coming from again um, healthcare care organizations it's coming mm-hmm. from insurance companies it's coming from the media it's coming from doctors you know because doctors just repeat what they they read from the sure. cdc or from the aap or from the ama and they're just re- so they have these trade organizations that just again they're kind of like in collaboration with the cdc at spreading disinformation well, and,
0: and then they're also muzzled, right? I mean, so I know here, I don't know what it's like in the US, but I can tell you that the uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons in Ontario, where we are, you know, we're a population of 14 million people. So we we have, you know, by far, we are the most uh, populated province in the country. And that college, SIPSO, uh, uh, basically, I mean, I'm going back like maybe a year or so, maybe more. They issued a gag order for all doctors and i believe that that most of the regulated professionals so that have you know regulating bodies so that would be like the naturopathic doctors as well they've all been you know they've been given gag orders and they've been muzzled you know so unfortunately what's happening is we're getting this the official story from organizations like the cdc from public health ontario from health canada and so forth that's then trickling down into the official story which and and the science which is what the right. doctors and whatever are yes. reading but Anytime there's any questioning, uh, they have to toe the line or, or risk um, losing their license, which which is That's crazy. That's correct. Yeah, it's you know? the same
1: thing here. Uh, I forget which uh, organization specifically. I think the AMA is among them um, that has, yeah, they issued a statement saying that any doctors who spread misinformation risk losing their license. So they're threatening de-licensing any doctors who tell the truth because, of course, they're using the term misinformation as a euphemism, meaning any information that doesn't toe the official line right right any information that counters the official disinformation is quote unquote misinformation it's a euphemism mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and so they're you know they're threatening with de- delicensing and this kind of ties into the topic of my the book that i published uh, that was published in august of mine the war on informed consent the persecution of of dr paul thomas by the oregon medical board um that's book doesn't relate to COVID 19 um, specifically, but it relates to the childhood uh, vac- vaccination schedule and how they, they penalized Dr. Thomas by uh, suspending his license, essentially, of course, they had false pretexts as a reason why they suspended his license, but they're demonstrably false pretext, and the true reason being quite transparent that uh, they couldn't tolerate him respecting parents' right to make their own informed choices mm. about childhood vaccinations. And so, you know, that risked his the vaccination level in, 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 in his practice hit a lower vaccination rate than the, the standard pediatrician who just pushes the CDC schedule on parents without respect. Um, and so that, that was a very clear message from, from the Oregon Medical Board um, f- with their suspension order that you'd better push the CDC schedule. You'd better tell the official line. You'd better not respect the right to informed consent or you'll lose your license. Yeah. And it's the same thing now with the COVID nineteen pandemic. You know, doctors who uh, talk talk about early treatments, uh, you know, because the official line is there are no early treatments. It's like you, you, if you if you're diagnosed with COVID nineteen, it's you go you're you're sent home for that infection just to fester and, for, and to become worse until you have such severe disease that you have to go back to the hospital, and then they give you remdesivir and put you on an intubator. <laughs>
0: Yeah, which is, um, obviously, we, we know what happens there. I mean, that's... Uh, right, which is one know. of the
1: reasons why, why the infection fatality rate is so high, and the case fatality rate is so high.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, th- this for me is is probably one of the greatest, um, I think, tragedy is maybe a good word to use here. You know, you would think that in the world's most deadliest pandemic, right, The the story that we're being told, I mean, you would swear if you didn't live on planet Earth, you would swear that people were just dropping dead in the street and we were piling bodies up on in the playgrounds and sports fields, right? Like that's how bad it sounds, um, which is not happening. But but point being here is that you would expect in the the climate that we're in and the messaging and the story that we're being told that we would exhaust absolutely every single avenue to put an end to this. You know, you, you would expect that we would be we would, we would be talking about how to strengthen your immune system. We would be talking about prevention techniques. We would be looking at uh, preventative medication, possibly, uh, like they have done in places like India and, and elsewhere. Uh, we would be looking at all treatment options, you know, whether it's monoclonal antibodies, whether it's using ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, uh, zinc, whatever it is, right? And it's not necessarily that I'm an advocate for any of these things, but the point here is that all roads lead to the vaccine. And that is all that we're right. being told. Like there is no other option. And if you dare speak about it, you are branded as a conspiracy theorist or what have you. And, and you know, if maybe someone like you or I said that, people might go, oh, well, look at your education. Or you're not a virologist or an immunologist or an epidemiologist or what have you. But the problem that we have now is that we do have I mean, we've got frontline doctors that are literally working ERs in New York since day one of the pandemic. They've had to feel their way in the dark. They've had to develop protocols based on their 30, 40 years of clinical practice And sort of go, I have to develop these protocols. And sure enough, what are they using? They're saying based on our collaborative networks, we're using things like hydroxychloroquine, we're using steroids, we're using whatever based on a case by case. And now you've got people like your um, uh, FLCCC, you know, you've got these guys like Pierre Corey and, uh, you know, McCullough and, and these folks. Like these are people that are actually seeing patients and they have been the whole way through. But they're, they themselves now, these are some of the most qualified people in the world to speak on these matters. They themselves are now being ostracized and branded and smeared. It's it's yeah. crazy, you know, that, um, again, yeah. in, in the world's you know, deadliest pandemic, uh, the only thing that we can rely on here is a very dubious vaccine that has been rushed to market.
1: Yeah, the doctors who are out there actually successfully treating patients early in, in, in the course of, of infection. Uh, Are being literally censored, yeah, um, and and penalized in some cases. Well, I last I heard, with penalization in pretty much every case.
0: Yeah, I mean, last I heard, I think um, Doctor McCullough is like 150 grand in the hole. Um, You know, with legal, he's all wrapped up in legal stuff now. And you know, Mm -hmm. this is one of the most published um, doctors and researchers in his field. You know, I mean, he's he's one of the giants. And uh, yes. I think he's very qualified to speak on things like this. But here's the guy getting smeared. You know, I mean, just 150 grand in a hole is nothing to, uh, you know, it's n- n- nothing to laugh about. Um, yeah. And uh, again, you know, I, I just, just to bring us back on point here, you know, we're talking about efficacy versus natural immunity. And unfortunately, you know, just again, January 12th here at time of recording, uh, we are now in Ontario and Quebec for that matter. Uh, the two most populated provinces in Canada, we are officially in lockdown. Uh, Gyms are closed, restaurants are closed, uh, schools are closed, Um, they're hopefully going back on the 17th, Um, and people are getting boosted. And the hospitals are supposedly overwhelmed, and, and, and. So it's like, you know, nothing has changed, really, in the last, this is coming on year three now. So, clearly, what we have been doing before has not worked, and to try and repeatedly boost our way out of this is also not going to work, plain and simple, as far as I can
1: tell. Um, Yeah, it's it's, it's insane. I mean, it it meets Einstein's definition of insanity. (laughs) Right there. (laughs) Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result this time. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work. I mean, the lockdown measures didn't work. And we have studies on that. You know, I mean, there, yes, you can find studies that that claim it works, typically modeling type studies that, that claim that these lockdowns have this great effect. But when you actually look at the real world data, uh, you know, like comparing states and looking at the epidemic waves across states, and it doesn't matter, you know, when or if, these measures were implemented. The, the, the epidemic waves are the epidemic waves, regardless of whatever politicians think they can do to try to yeah. control yeah. the virus. They can't control the virus. Um, and yeah, and, and the idea that number one, the lockdown measures are going to have th- this significant effect—I mean, that's just crazy. Um, I, what, what that what that can do is is uh, you know potentially, if it, if it has an effect, all it does is delay the inevitable if it has any effect at all. Uh, and, and in the meantime, um, can cause greater uh, harm in the long run. And this was, you know, early on, this was explained by, by some epidemiologists uh, and infectious disease experts, you know, the, the ones who are against the lockdowns, explained very early on that, you know, all you're doing by, by locking down, if, there, if it can do anything at all, is you're just delaying the inevitable. And in the meantime, you're you're preventing those who are at low risk from building up population immunity. Because natural immunity is uh, um, very much sterilizing uh, and it very much does prevent infection and transmission. And it's durable. Compared to the vaccine-induced immunity. Yeah, And so, I mean, v- theoretically, mass vaccination can actually n- not advance us to herd immunity, but impede the development of herd immunity How as a so? result, because we have to consider natural immunity as an opportunity cost of vaccination, right. okay. especially until we find out like what is really happening with original antigenic sin, mm. Mm. you know, unless we can say that original antigenic sin does not occur with the vaccines, you know, unless yeah. we can yeah. say that yeah. with certainty, we have to consider natural immunity and opportunity costs. And so what I mean by opportunity costs is, you know, it's an, it's an economics term. So, you know, like if I spend $50 on X item, well, that's $50 I don't have anymore more to spend on something else and so that other thing i could have bought with my with my 50 bucks is my opportunity cost right right and so we need to consider opportunity and there's there's a famous fallacy the broken window fallacy that explains the opportunity cost where the 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 shopkeeper has a broken window and and, um, and so he has to hire the glazier to come and fix his his window and and some economists will say oh that's economic growth because now that spending has gone into the pocket of the glazier right. <laughs> and, and so there's economic growth and economic activity happening but what they're failing to see is the opportunity cost of how that shopkeeper otherwise could have spent that money had his window not been meaninglessly mm, okay. broken, right? Yeah. And so yeah.
0: um,
1: I think that's a helpful analogy, a helpful, uh, you know, to illustrate the fallacy, you know, the broken window fallacy of yeah. not considering the opportunity cost. And so we have to consider natural immunity as an opportunity cost of vaccination. In other words, by getting vaccinated, you are foregoing forever the opportunity to have your immune system primed immunologically by infection,
0: And as we've goes back into everything we were saying earlier. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to say as we've just as we've just discussed. um, So, do you think? I mean, just to bring us into the close here, do you think that um, because obviously you know top of mind right now for everyone is um how do we how, how do we get through this right so what what does the end look like how do we work our way to the end um is there an end and uh i think both you and i would probably agree that the whole idea of COVID zero is just a complete um it's it's that's like lunacy. unicorns and you know bubble gum yeah. raindrops and what have you it's it's complete make-believe it's,
1: it's it's lunacy and it always was from the very yeah. beginning
0: yeah exactly um you know it's just just like the flu shots never got rid of the flu well actually last year they did because magically flu numbers disappeared <laughs> but anyway let's not go there um so um but uh, the the point being is uh, you know aside from that there's all of the collateral damage there's a lot of other things that are happening because of yeah. the measures that have been put in place so my question is you know if we're looking on a way to get through this do you think that a good way to move through this would be uh, to let something like omicron which is a very mild variant it doesn't cause a lot of symptoms it's highly transmissible isn't this what we've really been hoping and praying for, in a sense, that we, this yeah. will truly bring us to herd immunity and then we can kind of open doors and carry on with our lives?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at Omicron as essentially the, the first phase of it becoming endemic as opposed to uh, this ongoing pandemic, um, where it's just going to become more like a common cold, where it's just it's something people get, they're routinely exposed to it, and it's really not that big a deal. Um, and, and this is what we would have expected. I mean, earlier on, um, you know, in, in interviews and things, I was talking about how that this is the, that's the natural course of, of evolution with viruses, that, you know, when there's a new virus that enters the human population, um, the, the virus over time, it adapts to its new host. And it might be highly virulent in the beginning, but over time, the, the general trend is for it to become, yes, more infectious, more transmissible, more highly contagious, and yet at the same time, less severe right um and that's just the, the natural course of evolution typically with, with viruses now there there can be pressure put on evolutionary pressure put on viruses so that they become more virulent and this has been demonstrated in in chicken in chickens with a chicken vaccine for um i forget the name of the disease um but where where they were vaccinating chicken populations for a, for a, a disease for a virus and it ended up Um, putting evolutionary pressure on that virus to become very deadly. Hmm, Okay. (laughs) So that is a theoretical risk. I mean, this is what happened. You know, it's the same thing with antibiotics, right? Overuse and irresponsible use of antibiotics um, has resulted in the the rise of these superbugs, right? These antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Hmm. Do, do, do
0: you think that's a real, that's a real concern here? Because, I mean, I, I have heard people say that, you know, like, essentially, if you apply this very narrow, non-sterilizing pressure to the pathogen, um, the pathogen will essentially mutate um, and become, you know, it could become stronger in response to that. Um, and again, as you said, you yeah. know, antibiotics. Uh, so if we think about antibiotics, you know, low-dose antibiotics coming through the food supply... Would would essentially be akin to uh low dose non sterilizing medication, if you want to look at it like that, right? So and then double down with taking antibiotics for every little infection and what have you, and there you go with your um, you know, your drug resistant bacteria. Is is that a genuine concern? I know you just mentioned it's yes. happened in chicken, but is that a genuine concern here? Like let's say we get to boosters, you know, seven, eight, nine down the road. Um, you know, is is that a real concern?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, that the, the trend would be toward less virulence, um, but when we're interfering in an unnatural way, you know, that you're, you're throwing kind of a wrench in the gears of the natural evolution of things. And so um, it could result in pressure being put on We've seen this with pertussis um, again, a bacteria as opposed to a virus, but the same principle holds in terms of evolution uh, with the pertussis vaccines. And, and, you know, it's acknowledged that as a result of mass vaccination with the pertussis vaccines, that the, um, the, the bacteria mutated to lack a, a certain protein. That's a, a key antigen component of the vaccine. So it, you know, it, it adapted to try to escape vaccine induced immunity. Um, and so that all the strains in circulation now lack protecting this, this, um, this protein, that's the key antigen component. One of the key antigen components of, of the vaccine. Um, and so, and in this case, and I I haven't seen any studies, there's kind of debate, there's different, data on whether the people who become infected with these protection negative strains have equal equally severe disease or more or less severe disease um, i've seen some data going into ways i don't think there's any firm conclusions on that um, but you know again that's that's the concern that we know that mass vaccination does put evolutionary pressure on pathogens whether it's a virus or yeah. bacteria yeah that happens yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. just a fact and so the question is, what are the consequences of that of that uh, pressure that's being put on, on the pathogens? Um, it, could, it could go either way.
0: Yeah. And I mean, um, I think all, all that to say, just to wrap us up here is, you know, everything that we've discussed today, um, when you look at mass vaccination and continued sustained vaccination, there are a lot of, uh, you know, we're two years, we're not even two years into mass vaccination. I think we're, we're coming up on like a year, maybe even less, right? Somewhere around there. Um, but, but the point is that we don't really know what, you know, a lot of what we've spoken about is happening. And some of it might still happen. We don't know. And, you know, I look at this and then you put that against something like natural immunity. And it's sort of like, well, I got all of these risk factors over here. If I keep taking these shots, I don't really know what's going to happen. Or I could, you know, this is what I would like to see anyway, is, you know, let it become endemic. Let's protect the vulnerable. Let's start talking about things like prevention. Let's start talking about treatment options and stuff like that. And surely that is, you know, in my mind, now that we've had two years to look back on things, um, we know that the IFR has not changed we know that you know the the orig- nothing's really changed it's not like more people are dying it's not like there's more hospitalized you know what i mean so um, and of course then also you know to your point with natural immunity how many people have now recovered in the population you know how many people had COVID that didn't even know that they that they had it you know so you know when you look at all of these variables it just seems nonsensical to me to continue lockdowns uh to continue you know the path that we're on it just doesn't make any sense
1: at all um, and, and on forward. that i want to throw in another point there real quick is that uh, there are meant you know i've seen numerous studies showing that that people who did recover from prior infection who have natural immunity and then get vaccinated do have a higher risk of adverse events, and I've heard that. So that's yeah. another consideration. Yeah,
0: yeah, which, um, yeah, and you know, so I think, um, for, from my side, the you know, if you look at a risk benefit analysis on the on the uh, COVID nineteen vaccines, um, I don't know, I can't see, I, I I can't see the. Generally speaking, I can't see that there's more benefits and no risk or very low risk
1: right in specific circumstances i could see that somebody could make a reasonable choice to say i'm going to get vaccinated because i'm at high risk you know i'm elderly with comorbidities it might make a lot of sense to try to extend your life with the vaccine but yeah generally speaking i'll speak for myself personally uh i forwent the vaccines i was not vaccinated and i just i recently recovered from COVID 19. Hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the Omicron variant. I think that's one of the reasons I it was, I had such a mild case. I mean, it was, I, I, it was like a cold. I mean, it was, I had, yeah. I didn't even have like a sore throat or anything. I didn't, I never developed a cough. Um, it was, I, I had a, like a mild fever one night and a little bit of achiness. And then I was just fatigued for a couple of days. Yeah. And then, you know, by four or five days later, I had my strength back I mean, I had a little bit about, about of congestion and I'm just I'm a little bit tiny bit bit congested now, but that's kind of normal for me anyways. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I pretty much just fully recovered and, and I've, I've had many much worse colds and certainly far worse flus. Um, and interestingly, uh, the, uh, the household from which we got, my right. household got, um, infected, um, we were a fully vaccinated household and How my counterpart in, in that household, um, had a much worse case. You know, yeah. He was fully vaccinated, but he had a, a worse case of COVID than I did. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was taking, you know, and, and I had anticipated, you know, the risk of becoming infected over the holidays. And, and, and I was making sure to take uh, supplements to boost my immunity. I was taking vitamin D. I was taking vitamin C um, along with vitamin D, vitamin K um, just to help it, you know, absorb and, and do its functions. Uh, magnesium. I was taking quercetin and zinc. Um, I was taking NAC uh, and um, acetylcysteine cysteine um, to kind of support, and also liposomal glutathione to to, to support my glutathione production. Um, so you know, I was I was doing what I felt was sensible, uh, common sense things to support my immune functioning, um, and I I got infected. I had a very mild case, whereas my fully vaccinated counterpart. His household transmitted it to, to my household, he, he he was worse off than I was. He had a, a much higher fever and it was much longer running than I had. I had, you know, on and off one night I had, you know, it was up 100 degree type of temperature, yeah, yeah. maybe up to 101. It was like the peak. And that was the worst of it. And, you
0: know, to to, to be honest, I've heard that from many other people as well. Like you're, you're not the only the only person I've heard that from. And I have heard from even close friends um, of mine. Where, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, vaccinated individuals that have actually transmitted it over, Um, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, I don't want to get into that at this uh, late hour here on the show. Um, (laughs) But uh, thanks so much, Jeremy, for for joining me today. It was uh, great to catch up with you. And thanks for sharing um, all of your research that you have uh, been conducting over the last while. Um, What's the best place for people to connect with you?
1: My website, just go to jeremyrhammond.com. I use my middle initial there, so jeremyrhammond.com. And absolutely be sure to get on my mailing list just into your name and email there into the form you'll find on any page of my website uh, to get on my mailing list to get updates uh, with my work. And also I send out a lot of content that's just exclusive for my subscribers only. Um, So you're kind of missing out on a lot of good stuff if you're not on my mailing list. Awesome. Well, thanks so much
0: for joining me. And uh, thanks so much to all of you out there for uh, tuning into the show. Um, As always, if you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing, reviewing, and uh, sharing these types of episodes uh, with friends, family, and your community. Um, So thanks so much, Jeremy, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Awesome. Good talking to you again. Thanks.